0: Welcome to Pilgrim's Progress. Salvation is found only in Jesus Christ. And almost everyone who considers themselves a Christian would say, Yes, yes, of course, salvation is found in Jesus. But it's not that simple, it's not complicated. But there are two steps necessary. We're going to talk about those today. We're going to deal with Moses and what happened at Passover. Let's pray. Almighty God, Lord Jesus, I ask that you would make this broadcast so straight and so clear and so clean that any person, boy or girl, man or woman listening, will have the Holy Spirit fall upon them and unveil any hidden thing from their eyes that they could see you, Jesus. That They could understand with their hearts and obey. Lord, thank you. For salvation is found only in you, Lord Jesus. I pray in your holy name. Amen. Hebrews the eleventh chapter, beginning with verse twenty four by faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a short time. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt, because he was looking ahead to his reward. By faith he left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He persevered because he saw him who is invisible. By faith he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn could not touch the firstborn of Israel. You notice here there is spoken of, he kept the Passover, and he kept the sprinkling of the blood. There are two parts to the sprinkling of the blood. We're going to identify both of those parts today. But first, Let's go back to Hebrews, I'm sorry, to Exodus, the 12th chapter. Exodus, the 12th chapter. Take care of them until the 14th day of the month, when all the people of the community of Israel must slaughter them at at twilight. Then they are to take some of the blood and put it on the sides and tops of the door frames of the house, where they eat the lamb that some night they are to eat the meat roasted over fire, along with bitter herbs and bread made without yeast. Verse 11. This is how you are to eat it, with your cloak tucked into your belt, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. Eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. It is the Lord's Pesach. And I will pass through Egypt and strike down every firstborn, both of men and animals. I will bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt. I am the Lord. The blood will be a sign for you on the house where you are, and when I see the blood, I will pass over you. No destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. Verse 22, take a bunch of hyssop, dip it into the blood in the basin, and put some of the blood on the top and both sides of the doorframe. Not one of you shall go out into the door through the door of his house until morning. When the Lord goes through the land to strike down the Egyptians, he will see the blood on the top and the sides of the doorframe and will pass over the doorway, and he will not permit the destroyer to enter your house and strike you down. There are two parts. First, the lamb had to be slain. We're told in the book of Hebrews, there is no remission of sin without the shedding of blood. The innocent had to die for the guilty. And as the innocent died for the guilty, the guilty was saved. But it wasn't that simple. Command was also the eating of these herbs and of the lamb's meat. Again, going to John, the sixth chapter, where Jesus said, my body is real food and my blood is real drink. There is a a follow-through to the sprinkling of the door by the blood. It is the eating of the meat, the bitter herbs, and the standing with the robe on ready to depart. There is a departure from Egypt that is required. Now, let's say Johnny or Jeremiah or whatever name you want to use, a little boy says, Daddy, Bobby and I had planned a sleep out tonight. Do you mind if we go on the sleep out? You've put the blood on the door. So we're safe. So let me go out. We're going to have a good time and I'll be back in the morning ready to go with you. Would that work? No, if that little one was the firstborn on that sleep out, he would have died. The angel of destruction would have taken his life. In other words, the blood alone without obedience would not save the children of Israel. It was necessary for them to stay in the house, that is, to stay in Jesus. It was necessary for them to be prepared to leave the world, the flesh, and the devil. There is a two-part process that must take place. Now let's go back very quickly. Egypt is a place of death. It is a place of bondage. Oh, it has all of the right foods. It has the flesh pots. It has the the spices. They have work to do, but they are slaves, and they are driven to their work with whips. Life is not easy in Egypt. It is very expensive and their lives are consumed, and their babies are murdered. Sound familiar to America today? Freedoms are gone. Wicked men lie. Wicked women lie in government, in top positions. You have to wear this. You can't go there. You have to have a passport here. Freedoms are being stripped out of America it has become Egypt. Or I may use another term, America has become Babylon. Now in this place, the Christian comes and he says, I am saved by faith in Jesus Christ. And that is absolutely true. We are saved by faith alone in Jesus Christ but that faith has content. It is not enough for me to say that salvation is found only in Jesus Christ. It is salvation by faith, and that faith has content. The children of Israel are being led out of Egypt, out of bondage. The mighty works of God, the plagues, have fallen on Egypt, and they have destroyed the nation. And now they are going to be led by the blood out of this nation. Let me put it this way. There is no way the children of Israel could leave Egypt except by the blood of the sacrificed lamb. Otherwise, the judgment of God would have to fall on them because they were all sinners before a mighty and holy God. The children of Israel were as guilty as any Egyptian of rebellion against the Most High. They had all sinned. They had all fallen short of the glory of God. None sought after the Lord. Now they are being taken out of Egypt by the power of, of the blood of a lamb that represented the Messiah. Their sins, by that blood, are forgiven legally. Legally, they are forgiven. When we come to the new covenant, the blood of Jesus Christ does not just forgive us for our sins and leave us in an unregenerate, sinful place. The blood of Jesus also purifies us from all unrighteousness, First John. The blood of Jesus Christ removes sin from us. In the Old Testament, the blood of the Lamb could not remove sin. It could only cover it. But when Jesus died on Calvary's cross, we were made whole provided the blood is applied to our life. There has to be an application. For the children of Israel, the application was on the door frames of their house. This was a a covenant sacrifice. Remember those words, they're key. A covenant sacrifice. Atonement by Jesus was a covenant sacrifice. There are parts that both must make in this covenant. Jesus died on Calvary because the covenant made in the Garden of Eden was broken, and Adam and his descendants birthed in his likeness. We were all sinners, condemned to die. But the blood of Jesus Christ changed all of that. We want to look at that today. If we go to the book of Hebrews, and I'm going to take you to the ninth chapter, the ninth chapter, verse 22. In fact, the law requires that nearly everything be cleansed with blood. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. There's no redemption. Let me stop for just a moment. Part of the problem we're having, that I'm having as I share the gospel with you, is that words have lost their meaning in our day. Words have become pale, of no significance, because life is easy. But I want to tell you, if things become very difficult in America and people are starving for food, Stealing becomes a high crime because it threatens the person's life from whom the food is stolen. It means starvation. You see, when words begin to take on the meaning of whether you will live or die, those words have great import when your life depends on whether you speak the truth or not, it becomes a very serious matter that you speak the truth. A wife said to a husband, I wish you would just die. Well, those words cut his heart. But he knew those words had only an emotional meaning. They had no real-life meaning. I want to divorce you. Well, she didn't really mean I want to divorce you. She meant I'm very angry with you right now. And I'm using the big D word to tell you how mad I am. All the time, she has no intention of divorcing the man. You see, the words have been played with so that we can use words to express feelings that have no intent of action behind them. When we come to the gospel of Jesus, however, the words have meaning. And today, I'd like you to try, it will be difficult, but I'd like you to try to take the words that are spoken in the scripture for the literal meaning of the word. Don't soften it with make believe elitism. Don't soften it with just an emotional application and not a real life application. Literally. There is no forgiveness of sin without someone dying without the anguish of the cross without the shedding of Jesus Christ's blood there would be no there would be no forgiveness yes emotional words can pierce our hearts and affect our relationship But they're still just emotional words in our 20th century, 21st century time. Before that, words could have a much deeper significance. In the old West, when everyone carried a six-shooter, you didn't disrespect a person because if you did, they might shoot you, they might kill you, they might murder you, they might challenge you to a duel. People died over words spoken when the duel was challenged. Words have meaning. Now, go with me to the ninth chapter again of the book of Hebrews in verse 26. Then Christ would have had to suffer many times and since the creation of the world But now he has appeared once and for all at the end of the ages to do away with sin by the sacrifice of himself. Just as man is destined to die once and after that to face the judgment, so Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many people. One time Jesus died. He shed his blood. Now that blood, provision, called atonement in Scripture, was made available to all men and all women and all boys and girls. But the blood has to be applied. And those who tell you that when Jesus died on the cross, he did a completed work so that all past, present, and future sins are forgiven, you will know they are lying to you. It is a devious deception and twisting of the scriptures. Jesus said, he was sacrificed to take away the sins of many people. But that taking away of sins means the blood had to be applied to that person's life. The blood shed at the cross does nothing for you if you do not have that blood applied to yourself. The blood applied to the door, to the lentil, of the Israelite home would have no power to save if they were not in the house. If they went out and went shopping. If they went out to a party. The blood would have no effect. The blood had to be applied to the house and the people had to remain in the house where the blood application would be seen by the Lord, by the angel of God, and he would pass over and not destroy the eldest. Again, in Hebrews, he, that is Jesus, will appear a second time not to bear sin, That is not to remove sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. So Jesus died on Calvary to make provision for those who would have the blood applied to their lives. He made that provision. When that provision is applied to their lives, they are saved from their sin. And when Jesus comes the second time, it's not to take care of sin, but is rather to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. Now, let's be clear. If you believe that when you die, you will be made righteous, you are then expecting Jesus to come again and not not to save you, but to bear up your sin and to make you righteous. Hebrews 9 says that's not going to happen. It has to be done prior to that. Holiness is never spoken of in the future tense. In anywhere in the New Testament, it is always a present tense. Holiness is now. Now, I want to take you a step further. Day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties. This is chapter 10, verse 11. And again, he offers the same sacrifice, which can never take away sins. But when this priest, Jesus had offered for all times one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. Since that time, he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool, because by one sacrifice, he is made perfect forever. Those who are being made holy. The Holy Spirit also testifies to us about this, for he says, This is the covenant I will make with them. After this time, says the Lord, I will put my laws in their hearts and I will write them on their minds. Their sins and lawless acts I will remember no more. Now, I want you to listen carefully. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain that is his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart, in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled, to cleanse us from a guilty conscience. Step one of the conversion process is to come to Jesus with our guilty conscience, confessing our sins, acknowledging our wickedness, taking responsibility before a holy God, asking that we be sprinkled with his blood, washed with his blood. And then, having our bodies washed with pure water. It is a two-step process. First, there is the application of the blood of Jesus to my life, where my sins are washed away, where my sins are forgiven, they are removed. And then there is a washing process that takes place where I am transformed into a new creature. I no longer walk in Egypt. I no longer serve the gods of Egypt. I serve the living God of heaven. I am not going to serve the flesh, the devil, or the world. I am free of it. I am a new creature in Christ Jesus. Now he says, Let us hold on swervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together as some were in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. If we deliberately keep on sinning after we have received the knowledge of the truth, after we know about the blood, and the blood has been sprinkled on us, we've been cleansed of our past, and we've been washed, and we've been made into new creatures. He says, if you deliberately continue walking in the wickedness of this world, no sacrifice is left for you but only a fearful expectation of judgment and of raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. Anyone who rejected the law of Moses died without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much more severely do you think a man deserves to be punished who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, who has treated as an unholy thing the blood of the covenant, that sanctified, made him holy, Hagios, and who has insulted the Spirit of grace. For we know him who said, It is mine to avenge. I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. He who is coming will come and will not delay, but my righteous one, that's you and me, will live by faith. And if he shrinks back, I will not be pleased with him. Now there's another place we need to go in Scripture. And that's to the book of Romans. Paul talks about this in a different way. Let me come back and just review something that I've said earlier this week. When you leave Egypt and you enter into the wilderness, when you leave behind the places of bondage, and you now travel, through the barren desert of the world, under the wing of God, under the cloud of shade, under the fire of God, as you travel toward the Cana land, it is a vital import that you not consider going back and feasting on the things of Egypt. Some of you Have given double meaning to words. Some of you sin freely. You read the lies of our culture. You enjoy the violence of the movies or the video games. You enjoy the pursuit of money. So that you can buy all the pleasures you want from Vanity Fair? You feast on the wickedness of the world? You don't consider it a major issue? I spoke with one man, and he said in an incredulous tone. Do you mean to tell me I should not be going to the Redskins games? I love to go to the football games. He said, I love to go to the baseball games. You're going back to Egypt. You're feasting on the things of darkness. Now, let's be plain up. Some of you love the music and the atmosphere of the club, and you like to have a couple drinks. You're going back to Egypt. You are deserting the Most High God. Now, I'm not going to be legalistic. I'm not going to tell you what you can and can't do. The Holy Spirit will do that if you'll listen to him. Some of you love to veg out on, on the television or the internet or the cell phone. It's going back to Egypt. Well, pastor, what am I going to do if I don't entertain myself that way? Oh, you might read scripture. You might pray. You might pour forth your energy and your strength into loving Jesus Christ and building his kingdom instead of being busy building your kingdom. Instead of being busy figuring out how to decorate your house in a more beautiful way so you can impress somebody and and throw some big parties. I don't like parties anymore, and frankly, I don't go to them. When I'm invited to a cookout, if it is a bunch of pagans, I'll go because I'm going to go and talk to them about Jesus. I just recently went to a wonderful, wonderful graduation party, all pagans, and I had a wonderful time and wonderful conversations with pagans talking about Jesus. Now, I had done a funeral for this family earlier, and many of the people who were at the party had been at that funeral, and I had spoken very forthrightly about this is the gospel Well, people had questions about that. And sometimes it would be the wife who would ask me questions, and I would begin to address the issues, and the husband would roll his eyes, get up and go get another beer, and walk away and talk to somebody else. Sometimes it was the reverse. Sometimes it was teens. I'm not talking about that kind of place where you witness to pagans. I'm talking about a place where supposedly Christian people come together and all they can talk about is the world, the flesh, and the devil. They have no interest in praying. They have no interest in in crying out to Jesus. So they go out from under the cloud. They're no longer in the house covered by the blood of the Lamb. They're hiking back to Egypt. And the church today is filled with pastors who say, you don't have to worry about going back to Egypt and and sinning against God. You were saved. You can't lose your salvation because you're good as gold. You're going to heaven, even though you're walking in a way that is trampling on the blood of Jesus Christ. Now, please understand, words have meanings. It is your life or your death. We speak about revival. What is revival? Revival is casting off the works of the devil. Revival is repentance and earnestly seeking after Jesus because in my heart, I know I am going to die if I don't get to Jesus but many of you listening to this broadcast do not believe you're going to die if you don't get to Jesus. You believe you're fine, you're saved, even though you continue to walk like the world and talk like the world and act like the world, you're sure you're going to be just fine. Yesterday, a a Christian treated me in a very rude manner. Why? because I confronted them with their sin. I'm not willing to let someone call themselves a Christian and continue to walk in total disregard of Jesus. I am very defensive for Jesus Christ. I am not tolerant of sin among people who say, I'm saved, I'm on my way to heaven, but I pursue a wicked course because I enjoy doing that. And so I was treated very rudely, and and they immediately left my presence and said, I don't want to see you again. All right, I understand. I did it with kindness. I did it with gentleness. I was respectful. There must be a very clean line drawn in your mind and in your heart. This is of Jesus and this is of the devil. This is of Jesus and the tree of life. This is from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. I have made a vow to Jesus that I will no longer eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. All wisdom is found in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is much larger than the devil. He's much broader. He's much wiser than the devil. You don't limit yourself by coming to Jesus. Instead, you enter into a much more glorious place in his presence. So that quick snap retort of anger and bitterness, that's an Egyptian habit. It has to go. That claiming to be somebody that biting of a brother or a sister. That's all the wolf nature that comes out of Egypt. It has to go. Listen to what the Apostle Paul says. Chapter 6, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Do you understand when I say, my late wife, my precious late wife Jan, died of cancer. What happened? Well, when she died, in my arms, with me weeping over her and praising Jesus for her, she lay in the bed. She was gone. There was no breath. My brother was here, my precious brother Don and his wife Lois. I'll always love them for what they did for me that day. And the days leading up to that as they cooked, as they took care of the house, as they made it possible for me to spend every moment with Jan. But then the undertaker came and he put her in a body bag and wheeled her out to the car. And then there was the, the service, and Jan is no longer here. Do you understand? Death has meaning. When a person dies and they're buried, they are gone. Now, I know she was... With Jesus. And so I don't grieve like those who have no hope. I have a great hope in Jesus. But I want you to hear me. When I say, Jan died, it means she's no longer here. If you say, I died with Jesus, it means the old person of flesh is no longer here. That old person is gone, and you don't go back and try to resurrect it. You don't try to live in the grave and in Jesus Christ at the same time. And I'm very concerned because, how do I put this? I know and love precious brothers and sisters. We're still living a double life. The concern of their heart is how much money they can make. The concern of their heart is paying off their debt. The concern of their heart are the sports they like to participate in or watch. The concern of their heart is, oh, yes, I love Jesus, but I also love this and this and this in the world. And so they're living a double life. How do you suppose a wife would feel about a husband who lived a double life on her and said, you can't expect me to be loyal only to you? You know, I I have to have some on the outside. I can't settle with just one woman. What would that wife say? I can tell you what Jan would have said. She would have said, I'm out of here, Ray. It's over. You either are with me or you're with that woman. Well, of course, that never happened and never would happen, but it happens to Jesus all the time. And so I'm calling and asking you today, would you look most seriously and don't play games? Look at every activity you engage in and ask the question, Am I engaging in this to build the kingdom of God? Or am I engaging in this because I am committing adultery against Jesus? Many of you are committing adultery with or fornication with the devil, with your pleasures has to change. Verse 5, If we were united with him like this in his death, we will also certainly be united with him in his resurrection, for we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin, because anyone who has died has been freed from sin if you are not freed from sin, you are still not converted. You still don't belong to Jesus. Now, the children of Israel, they're taken out of Egypt, but Egypt has not been taken out of them. And the result is they walk in unbelief, and disobedience, pining for Egypt. And they end up dying in the desert. And if you do not leave Egypt totally, completely, and totally belong to Jesus Christ, if you still, you've left Egypt, but Egypt has not been taken out of you, See, that's what the two-part deal is. It's the sprinkling of blood to forgive your past and to transform you, and the washing of the water is to get Egypt out of you. If Egypt is still in you, you're not saved. To be saved means, Egypt, you have to leave. And secondly, Egypt has to be washed out of your system. You have to be given a new heart. And it is a supernatural work of God that is done by faith in the blood of Jesus. It's not done by our trying heart. It's done by the blood of Jesus as we submit and surrender and give ourselves utterly unto Jesus. Oh, my brother, my sister, it's time to count yourself dead to sin, but alive to Jesus Christ. Do not let sin reign in your mortal body. Don't go back to Egypt. Children of Israel died in that wilderness because they would not allow God to remove Egypt from their heart. We must come by the blood of Jesus and by the washing of the water and be filled by the Holy Spirit so that everything we do, whether it's going to the grocery store, whether it's going to the job, whether it's going for a walk, whether it's reading the scriptures, whatever we're doing, we're doing unto Jesus Christ. When we give to the poor, we're doing it unto Jesus Christ. When we pay the bills, we're doing it unto Jesus Christ because this physical body requires care that we could be alive and serve Jesus. But it has to be a conscious decision on your part. I am not doing this for my own value. I'm doing this for Jesus Christ. He's everything to me. Lord Jesus, I don't know how to bring this word home to my brothers and sisters, but I ask by the power of the Spirit of God that you would hover over every life and expose every darkness and bring us out of Egypt and take Egypt out of us, that we could be made whole, washed in the blood, washed in the water, made clean. Lord, thank you. Let this broadcast accomplish the purpose for which it has been given. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Well, you've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Pastor Ray Greenley from the National Prayer Chapel. I'd like to invite you to come on Sunday. If you're in the Washington metro area, people drive here from Germantown, from Gaithersburg, from all around the city. We're very small, but we're very serious about this walk with Jesus. So go to our webpage. The address is there, nationalprayerchapel.com. And I want to thank Mike for your gift this morning for radio. Thank you. And thank each one of you who's been giving this month we're now building the war chest so that at the end of august we can pay the radio station almost $4000 for their time thank you dear brother and sister i'm humbled by your by your generosity and by your kindness in obeying jesus in your giving one person gave $10 you know what that was as valuable to me as a person who gives a thousand doesn't matter how much you give it matters that you give according to the spirit and according to what you have so please go to our web page nationalprayerchapel.com you can give online or you can write to me at national prayer chapel post office box 2346 woodbridge virginia 22195 that's national prayer chapel Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia. God bless you, my brother and sister. I pray this has been helpful to you. Pass it on to a family member or a friend. Put it on your Facebook page. If you're on Facebook, I'm not. Post it where people can see it. And if you're online, would you subscribe to our channel? That gives Google... further coverage. God bless you today. I love you. I'll talk to you soon.